Hello and welcome to the Rat Nest Podcast, episode number 35 with Edward Davis. Hey! <laughs> How's it going, Edward? Thanks for being here with us. How are you guys doing? Doing really good. That's man. our intro, man. You know, I didn't mean to catch you off guard. Uh, uh, thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking with us, man. Uh, appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day. Um, so... Anyone listening that is unfamiliar with you and what you have going on, Edward Davis is a comic book maker who has a series of comics called Immortal Era. Um, but before we get into all that, let, can we just talk about a little bit where you're from, how you got your, like, I don't know, uh, how you got into comics and like at what age that affected you? Okay, so I'm, I'm from Southern California in the Inland Empire. And comics, I think the first comic I got, I was probably about five or six years old. And we went to the swap meet and it was just an old collected edition of, um, of Spider-Man books, mm -hmm. starting with the Amazing Fantasy. And I think it was like the first 10 issues beyond that. And I was just so hooked. I, I read that thing till the pages were falling out mm -hmm. and then taped them back in and read it again. So, I mean, that was kind of my first <laughs> introduction to comics and it was just one of those things is probably someone was probably selling it for a quarter and i was like i have to have this and that kind of started my lifelong love of comic books and from that point we went to the swap meet i try to seek out any of the other old marvel collected editions so i got all the whole early early copies iron man all the early avengers and just remember Rad. reading those books uh you know all of them until the spines were just falling in half and just loving every minute of that and as i got older starting venturing into different comic books and really getting hooked on the series that came out from vertigo like sandman mm -hmm. and preacher and swamp thing and stuff like that and just kind of realizing that comic books can be so much more than just you know the villain and hero of the month battling it out you know you can tell deep intellectual stories that people will study for years all in the form of a comic book Totally. I, I remember getting told when I was in elementary school that comic books were a lesser form of like English mm -hmm. literature. Like the teachers, yeah. didn't, like you couldn't do comic books for book reports or like that kind of thing. But then I had a teacher in third grade that was like, no, com comic books are just as uh, deep as any novel. Uh, and mm -hmm. It's just more maybe more approachable because of the artwork and like uh, being able to associate with like the visual stuff as a kid. Uh, instead of, you yeah. know, a 200 page novel where you have to just look at pages of text. Um, mm -hmm. But did you ever get told as a kid that like, like comic books like aren't where it's at? Or were you kind of encouraged to like keep reading that way? I think I think it was definitely looked at like, OK, well, we made sure we bought you some real books. So, you know, that it was kind of that that stigma like, OK, well. We see that you like to read and you're spending a lot of time in comic books. So we're going to make sure you read some novels as well. So it was definitely it's I think it's, you know, still frowned upon, even though you can look at, you know, graphic novels that are telling amazing stories and they're winning awards. And mm -hmm. people still look at it like, oh, pictures, you know, this is this is a lower art form. And I think a lot of people are over that stigma, but I, I don't think it's ever going to fully go away because there's people that still they think comic books and they don't even think beyond like the Sunday funny pages. They think right. we're just reading the smallest form of literature and they don't realize that, you know, it's, it's such a bigger form of storytelling. There's college classes that they dedicate to teaching graphic novels now. So, I mean, it, 
in the public size, I don't think they'll ever be fully accepted, but I think they're definitely a lot more accepted now, especially with so many movies that have come out beyond just the Marvel Universe ones, but, you know, deeper intellectual movies that have come out based on graphic novels. And people are like, people think, wow, this, if this came from a graphic novel, maybe I'm missing something. Mm -hmm. Right. It's such a fun medium to be able to tell a story too. You know, when you're mm -hmm. writing something, you're kind of leaving it up to the reader to create the imagery in their head. And in order yeah. to tell a deep, deep story like that, you can guide it so much better with the visual aids that you're able to put into yeah. that story. And mm -hmm. it's a, a fun way to, to experience a story too, especially one is like deep and, and intricate as what you're doing. It's, it's really cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I love it as a storytelling form. I think, I think it really, I mean, it's, I started writing this so this story as a novel and writing it okay. as a novel trilogy. And then just the thought, because my brain never could process the fact that if you're not an artist, you can still create comic books mm -hmm. because right. for so long, I just assumed, Oh, that whoever's doing that amazing art is also writing the story, but I can't draw a, a stick figure. Well, so this isn't the medium for me until I realized, no, you just, you just need to be able to describe and let someone else take your words and make the beautiful picture. So once I realized that, I knew this was the way I wanted to tell this story. Can we touch on that in the, the sense that um, a lot of the guys that we've talked to are individual, they're like doing story and uh, just like mostly black and white illustrations, made some rough coloring mm -hmm. and stuff themselves. Um, but you have a few people that you work with. So mm -hmm. where is it? It, you write the story and then you give it up to the artist to ink. And then, then you have a coloring person as well. And then yeah. um, a couple editors. Um, how does it all like work together? How do you guys all find like the mesh? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, we're now working currently on our sixth issue. So the fifth one just got released. And I think in the beginning, it was a little bit bumpier because the team hadn't worked together. Fortunately, my artist and my colorist had worked together on a previous book, so they had a little bit of, of time to kind of gel and understand each other's right. styles. And the colorist had also worked on other professional books. She worked on the Doctor Who series. Um, I think she was doing the, um, the flatter, like she was the flatterist on that series. <clears throat> so it helped that she knew kind of how to format things correctly because it was definitely a process of learning as we went along. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get mm -hmm. your art team to do everything, but if you format it wrong, it's going to cut things off at the printer. So having her let it so we could actually print a book out that wasn't a complete embarrassment because we formatted it in the wrong way. Sure. And I think as we've been moving along, the team is working better together. The artist, since we've been working together for so long, he, he can say, I think this might be a little bit better if we tweak it this way. It'll help, you know, it'll be a more powerful panel if we go like this. Where in the beginning, he didn't want to, he didn't want to upset me because he didn't know, am I going to be somebody who's like, no, these are my words and you're going right. to follow them. Mm -hmm. Or am I someone who's going to be more flexible? So now he knows I'm more flexible and there's certain things I'll say, okay, this one is important because I'm thinking 10 issues ahead as well. Mm -hmm. So I need to say, okay, that's going to happen in issue 15. We need to have this exactly this way. Yeah. Yeah. When you're thinking about that now, is that something that you felt the same way from issue one? Were you always flexible or did you start out like with it a little bit closer to you because 
it was new and you were working with these people for the first time? Like, was it kind of like a growing process to, to get that gel or did it, were you pretty easy going in the beginning too? I think I was a little more rigid in the beginning, but I always try to be flexible and respect the artist because I don't have an art. I don't have a, a background in art. So I don't know what makes good art. I have a background in reading thousands upon thousands of comic books, yeah, yeah. but he's, he's been drawing, you know, since he was old enough to pick up a pencil, the same thing for me, I was writing stories from the moment I could actually write. Well, he's been doing the same thing with drawing. So I needed even in the beginning to respect him as an artist. So there was flexibility and there were, you know, the only thing I think I was very rigid on was the character designs themselves Mm -hmm. because I envisioned the characters in a certain way. So that was the only point we had a lot of back and forth Mm -hmm. that doesn't quite work. I'm looking for something more along this line. And that was the one where we had to probably go through seven or eight designs before we finalized what we really thought was the right way. Wow. Did you model any of the characters after people, like whether they be celebrities or people, you know, because in my mind, there's a couple little things that stand out that remind me of, uh, uh, comedians or like celebrities, but mm-hmm. was there anything in mind when you came up with the character, like look themselves? I don't think so. I mean, it's funny because I, I sent just descriptions of the character and one of the main characters, everyone says looks just like my wife. So <laughs> probably subconsciously I did that, but in the, dis- I, he never got a picture of my wife to model it after it right. was just based on my descriptions. Then everybody looks, they're like, Oh, well, you put your wife on the cover. So that one, I guess my subconscious made her the main character and the other ones. I wasn't really looking for anyone specific. I've kind of, now I try to find actors like who who could play this character if it ever got adapted into anything. And I found different actors that work, but I wasn't really working with that. I, I was more picky about how they would dress and things like that too, because some of the styles that he came up with, just didn't work for what I was imagining. So right. I'm, I'm sure in the beginning he thought, oh man, this guy's going to be a hard ass because he's just stopping me in every step of the process. But I think once we got past the character designs, things started really moving a lot smoother and easier. Awesome. So I noticed the, the, the your, do you have a writing background that you say you come from writing? Is that what you, like where you got your start and decided to like write through this? Um, because the the story is so in depth and the story is so it, it flows like very well. And as you're saying, you were able to just give a description of the characters and he was able to create them based off of your description. Like that has to be mm-hmm. some pretty impressive writing to be able to form a character this detailed, you know, off of the description that you have. So like. Have you always been a writer? Did you go to school for that? Like, is that kind of what you what you were aspiring to do with your life and livelihood? Or what what is your day job? And how does that like play into how it created the characters and all of that? I I have some writing background. It was always something I did for fun and never really took it serious enough to think that I could make a career out of it. I think it was more based on fear than anything. But I worked on a, I got a creative writing certificate when I was in college and, okay. you know, kind of spent my time doing that with my electives. I have an English lit degree. And right now I work as a teacher, 
So I think it kind of lends itself to that because Absolutely. when you're, when I'm teaching the kids how to write, I'm, I'm saying, okay, we're going to write descriptive writing. And when you do your basic descriptive writing, that kind of is how you write a comic book. Mm-hmm. You need to give so much detail into what each and every single panel is going to have. So, you know, it could be one simple panel out of six, but you're going to spend half a page describing it. So your artist knows what to do. And you, you don't want to get, over describing because you think you know people start thinking oh you're gonna try to be like alan moore who hmm. over describes every little thing in his scripts you know the doorknob will get three pages right. dedicated to the it. stuff you don't need to include it's yeah overkill and and that was my my beginning was just learning how to cut things because i hmm. i remember the first draft i had of this script i sent it to an editor who had edited for dc and he just ripped it to shreds he's like all right you're saying too much <laughs> here you're saying too little there you know my first issue was just basically all exposition and backstory and i gave everything away all in one issue so all these little surprises come out issue after issue basically in in 22 pages i gave it all away right so you got it he said backstory can't be your story or you're just there's nothing that's going to surprise your readers right Uh You, you have to learn to incorporate some of that like nuance or uh you know, just like a little bit of uh, giving a hint before you drop the whole thing. Um, yeah. I, and I, and that it, it was hard to get just ripped to shreds because here I thought I had created something that was really good. And, mm-hmm. you know, I shared it with different friends and everybody through the high praise. And when you take that first punch in the face, like, oh, shit, you know, yeah, I'm not all that. But that's OK. You kind of need that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> reality check. back into reality. I'm sure it made you a little bit stronger of not necessarily a writer or anything, but just a um, producer of a comic because then you, you see how they look at it as opposed to how you look at it. And then when you're working with a team, you know how to kind of tell them how to look at it because Mm -hmm. I'm looking at it this way. They're looking at it this way. You need to be all of this together. (laughs) You know, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have um, an editor and an assistant editor uh, yeah. as, as well as someone that does, uh, the text and graphics, right. The, or the yeah. captions and graphics, uh, how does that all work? Because what, I don't know, like how do those people fall into your, your group? Because I feel like that should be like one, your job. I'm, I, I mean, <laughs> not to say that, but you I, know I what I'm saying. I think when it comes down to it, that the editor, that my wife serves as the, the main editor on the book and she kind of guides me along with the story. Because when you're telling a story that's as large as the one I'm trying to tell, you run into points where you know what's happening, but she's reading it as someone outside of the story. And she's saying, this doesn't make sense. And this character wouldn't Uh, act this way. I see that. And I think that this is a misstep for this particular thing. So you can't have someone, even if it is, you know, a spouse who is your editor, they can't just coddle you and be like, you're the greatest. Your writing is also perfect. It's like, no, this just doesn't work. And then my assistant editor, he's just, he's just an expert at grammar punctuation because one of the stigmas you get with indie comics is that they're just sloppy. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a lot of misplaced commas that you're going to have just right grammatical mess and you have to you want to elevate yourself to play with the big boys it has to look like it belongs with them Mm -hmm. so he comes in and he also helps with dialogue where once we've completed the script and you start actually lettering it 
he'll say, all right, this line would sound better if we tweaked it a little bit this way. So my wife serves as the editor for the story, and then he serves as more of the dialogue editor, and then just the one who cleans it up so that it can, you know, you can set it next to a Marvel book and people aren't going to see this huge discrepancy and think, this one's garbage and this one is elite. So you right, want them right. to look at yours and think, you know, I can't see the difference. That's, you know, the, yeah. and a few of the reviews I've got, that's the highest compliment I've received is that I can't tell that it doesn't belong next to a Marvel or a DC book. High praise, I was going to say that we're just going to like lead into that point because we deal with all these indie comic artists and stuff. And I mean, what you do on your own is amazing, but what you can do with a team, a small team, nonetheless, yeah. it, it shows, it shows, yeah. it, it looks very professional, very polished. Um, you belong right there next to the, the big boys on the comic racks. Absolutely. I, I'm, Thank you. you know, yeah, I'm blown away by what I was shown. Cause I just, uh, was introduced to it this week when Jim sent me, okay. uh, the, the comics, um, and I, I was like, wow, this guy's the real deal. I, I get it. I get what he's trying to do. I mean, it's very clear to me. Um, I do have to ask though, you mm -hmm. said you started writing it as a novel and then it kind of progressed into something different. Um, yeah. you can, I can almost tell that if you were just to look at issue one and issue five, mm -hmm. because yeah. there's so much less dialogue in five and it's a lot more action panels and like mm -hmm. big pages. Was that something yeah. that was intentional or is that just kind of how it developed? I think, I mean, with issue one, I mean, it's, it's very wordy and it was so much more wordy in the first draft. I gave it to my letterer and he's <laughs> like, dude, there's no art left. I covered <laughs> everything. So I, I mean, this, what you're reading is the, kind of cut and condensed version of what was ridiculously overwordy. Okay. And I think learning to write, cause I, I knew everything was kind of going to build toward a big action last couple of issues. Like, all right, we're going to set up the world in the first three and then we're going to give the payoff. Cause if you just drop into nothing but action, I don't think you can develop the story quite right. as well. So part of it was intentional and part of it was kind of learning as I go and thinking, all right, it can't always be that wordy mm -hmm. because, you know, some people, they want those big splashier pages. So I figured I wanted to kind of create a good balance between those two. So four, five, and six, get your kind of your big culminating action that's going to have the big payoff that still pushes the story forward. Because if you're doing action, your action needs to propel the story. Right. Mm -hmm. Or else it's just mindless action. So then issue seven will kind of mirror more like issue one. It'll be a quieter, wordier issue where not a lot's going to happen, but we have to kind of see the aftermath of what happened in issue six. Right. Yeah. And that's another thing that I really liked is the continuity between all of them. You know, as it's, you can tell that it's one cohesive story throughout and mm -hmm. it doesn't skip around confusingly. And I guess that has a lot to do with you having that editing producer and your wife, like helping make yeah. sure that the story works, but it's done beautifully the way that it just, it flows all the way through. And it doesn't focus on one character or the other throughout the issues. There is like more pages dedicated mm -hmm. to kind of each character's part in like what's happening. And it, you just kind of learn along the way. Yeah, no, it's, it's a really well told story. And I guess that's what you get 
when you have a writer that creates a graphic novel rather than an artist who's creating the graphic novel, learning how to write. Yeah, Yeah. there's a big difference there. And most of the people we've interviewed are the latter there. They're the artists. Myself included. Yeah. Okay. You know, I I would rather, I have other these dreams. Like, I could make the story. I have these like movies in my head, but like I see them visually. You know, yeah. it, it's to to tell the story, uh, writing it out. It's, it's going to take a little bit more effort. I'm going to definitely need more people to go over it with me and and develop it than I would just kind of drawing my own idea of what I want. Yeah, and see, I'm the opposite. I have that artist envy, and I look. And I'm like, I have this perfect panel in my head, and I can describe it. But I want to. I wish I could just draw it because it's like, oh, you haven't quite got what i was thinking mm-hmm. so you you try to describe it perfect but sometimes they miss the mark just that little bit and that's where it's just like uh if these hands could do anything halfway decent with a pencil then we would be there and i could draw a little rough sketch and he'd be like okay i know exactly what you mean so mm-hmm. yeah you know you get that you know from the writer's point of view we all wish we could do the artwork and you know because that you know there's a lot of times like oh the, the artist, the sexy one, and the writer's like, oh, you just, you're just the writer? <laughs> I remember I got told by somebody, I was, I was wearing my friend's shirt because he, he has a comic that he does called Lucha Cats, and I was wearing a Lucha Cat shirt, and someone's like, oh, that's so cool. I'm like, yeah, my friend's the artist, and you know, this and that. Like, oh, artists are, you know, that's so cool. I'm like, I write a book. He goes, yeah, I got a lot of comic ideas, too. Just the full blow-off, like, Damn. wow. No love for the writer. Man, yeah. The content creator. No, that's yeah. so cold, dude. That's so cold. But I mean, I guess that's how it is. Like the art word the art world is cold to other artists. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like yeah. it doesn't matter like who you are. It's like everyone thinks their shit's the, the best and you know, yeah. they yeah. don't have room for anything else. It's like, I don't want to check mm-hmm. that out, blah, blah blah. But how have you uh had like the reception of what you've been doing? Like, have you had a lot of like any pushback or has it been pretty positive? I mean, how are you getting your stuff out there and what outlets are you using? It's been pretty positive. And I think it's, it's a, it's been growing through time because when I started, of course, you just, you have these dreams like, okay, they're going to drop the books on my porch. And next thing you know, Netflix is going to be pounding on my door and Hulu's going to be fighting for which one wants the contract. And instead you got, you know, 500 books sitting here and nobody knows about them. Right. Besides your family and friends. And, you know, you, you can only sell so many copies to them. So I started to, I, I launched a Kickstarter probably way before I should have and just literally felt like I was walking around with a beggar's cup to anyone I knew. I'm like, hey, hey, check out my Kickstarter, please. Yeah. So when I did the first one, it, it funded, but it was literally right at the last minute and barely funded. So I realized I needed to do something else because all those family and friends who, picked me up once they're they're not going to do it time and time and time again yeah so things like what i'm doing now i just had to look and see all right who has a podcast who has a youtube that's willing to hear what i have to say and i sent the first issue out to any reviewers that would be willing to look at it and just kind of try to to create a buzz about the book and let people know that it existed because more than anything there's i'm sure countless amazing books out there that no one's ever heard of or will hear of because you have to get out there and promote yourself. And it was something that took me way out of my comfort zone. But now I feel that it's moving along well, because now I launched four Kickstarters and they're, they're moving up and you don't really look at the dollar values. Of course you want to make the money, 
but it's are the backers growing and each one has grown progressively more where the first one we had about 87 and the last one closed at 180 backers. Awesome. So that's amazing. Making that progress is all you can do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Especially from the first one to the next one, you know, a hundred, I mean, a hundred percent increase plus is isn't awesome. I get yeah, it. That's that's it normally takes five to get there. You might be lucky if you get 40, 50% more um, people like backing you or, even followers or likes or whatever, all this bullshit, yeah. right? What's it really, what's it really uh, accommodate to? It's like 1% that might actually go to the website and go buy the thing that you're trying to promote. But the yeah. idea that if I'm only getting that 1%, as long as more and more people are involved, that 1% grows. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's rad, dude. 80 to 180 is insane. Yeah. And it, I mean, it took, that's over four campaigns, so it wasn't one to the next. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> okay. I, yeah. Like, Damn, dude, it, that it was, was it, crazy. That would be ridiculous to get that much, but it went from 80, I think, then the next one went to like 110, right. then 110 oh, okay, okay, to yeah. 160, and then 160 to 180. So it's still that that growth, but you always have to think ahead. It's okay, now I have 180. How do I take it to the next step? Now it's 200 that I want to get. Right. And you want to, more than anything, you want people to come back. Right. So that's that's the thing that I like to see because I've that's all I've done over the last two days is just get my Kickstarter rewards ready and mail package after package. And it's so nice when you're seeing the same names. You're like, okay, this Heck one was yeah. here for the first one and they've come back every single time. So that's what you want to see is not only do you get a, a reader who might think, oh, I saw this on a podcast or I saw this on a website, I'm going to check it out. And then they check it out and that's it. They're done. You want them to come back and you know read it because this is a planned 30 issue series so i need people along for the full ride absolutely the people that come back are the ones that tell their their friends and that's how it grows exponentially you know it's like Mm -hmm. we need those people to to tell other people that are genuinely interested in it or genuinely like it and that's that means more than just a like or a click or you know whatever Mm -hmm. um what uh you said you had 30 issues on deck like you're you're done one through 30 already um, the whole thing is outlined. Okay. Wow. I've written up to nine, but the entire series is fully outlined. So you so. have the story, you know, where it's going to end up. It's mm-hmm. just the, the process of building that and, and creating yeah. it. Okay. That's I know gr- exactly what the ending's going to be. Not to say it can't change. Cause you never want to pigeonhole yourself completely. Right. Right. But I know what the final act of the, the book is going to be. And this is just kind of building toward it. And then each each arc will be six issues. So after each six issues, I'll be able to put out a trade to keep people caught up. Because that, even in the indie world, you get so many people that have that I'll wait for the trade mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've done cons and things like that. And they're saying, oh, well, when's the trade coming out? And they're asking me this when I just put out issue one. <laughs> I have made a penny on this thing. I don't want to even think about the trade. But, you know, they're already thinking, I'll wait. I said, it could be three or four years. That's cool. I'll wait. So (laughs) having that trade will be a nice thing to put on my table. Like, here's the trade. Go ahead and dive right in. Yes, for sure. I don't know if people are waiting for a deal or just waiting to have the whole thing in front of them. They don't want to wait issue to issue. But yeah, yeah, we hear that a lot. It's like, all right, well, we're going to put out, you know, the six or the five or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And, um, you know, it's selling better 
this way than it was individually. And it's like, mm-hmm. why? Yeah. I don't get it. It's, it's strange. Yeah, I, I don't get that mentality, but I guess I grew up running down to the local, you know, gas station or whatever and buying the new issues that right, came right. out. And I, I look at it, too, as a collector. I don't have any trades in my collection that, could, that I could sell for $1,000 right now. But I have individual books that I've bought off the shelf that I could. And I, as a collector, I always want the real book in my hand. And, you know, preferably I want a first print of it. And, yeah, yeah. you know, if it's, if anything ever happens, then you have that real book, not just, you know, the trade that I'm going to print listings and it'll never go out of print. Mm-hmm. Where now the first print of the issue is sold out. The second print of the issues of issue one is sold out. And if you didn't grab them when you could, those are long gone. So if, if there's ever money to be made, it's going to be by buying those individual issues. So mm. that's, that always lurks in my head. It's like, okay, this is, this is the way that I collect. And even when I buy on Kickstarter, I don't buy a digital copy alone because right. I want something in my hand. Cause yep. if, if it ever blows up, it's, you know, owning a digital copy is not going to pay my bills for a month. Right. right. I, I like to get, if, if I donate on Kickstarter and there's an option, I'll get the, the hard copy and like one of the little extras just because I know that's going to be so limited to like what mm-hmm. they did on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do something completely different through probably a completely different company the next time. It won't be the same kind of thing. Um, yeah. wh- when you were a kid, did, did you collect other stuff? Like, did you collect baseball cards or were you like strictly? Oh, yeah. Comic? yeah. I collected baseball cards. I collected action figures. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. I collected Same. comic books. So I had the collection of all of those things and, you know, I still have most of them now. So it's kind of cool. Cause I, I found an old box in the garage that had, you know, old, like first appearance of venom and first appearance oh, of the right. black suit Damn, just dude. sitting in a box in my garage <laughs> for years so it's it's nice when you can unearth those gems in there that's and, crazy you know a lot of the stuff i collected was junky 90s comics that nobody wants to touch nowadays but yeah you know i just i've always been the person that likes to hold something tangible i think that's why when you know everybody was buying mp3s i was buying vinyl records because i just mm-hmm. i have to feel like i actually own it and if it's a digital copy i never feel any ownership of it yeah yeah i hear that 100 percent. it's like it's nice to have it if if it's digital only or if it's a one of the benefits of donating to someone and you get a digital copy great mm-hmm. i love looking through it but there's something about holding something tangible mm-hmm. and like physical in your hands that you just it's never going to be the same. If you say yeah. that it is, you're lying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just, you can't beat opening it and just having that book in your hand. Cause everything, I think everything looks better when you're just, when you really can see it, smell it, experience right. it. The weight of, of the paper on your screen. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's warmer. It's not as cold the, the you mm-hmm. know, the, the computer screen can be very cold and yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're learning to deal with that in the modern day and age because we have to use it so often, but uh, there's something to be said just about a hard copy of something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I want to skip back real quick. When you said you've got go back to, you've got the pretty much the whole story outlined and just kind of ask, I'm not, not to ask for any, um, yeah, we don't want to give anything away, but is that having that storyline promotes so much Easter eggs, I'm sure. And your ability to, foreshadow something in in issue four that doesn't come to fruition till 19 like do you use a lot of that and are you are you 
allowing yourself to utilize that because you have the full story out? Are you going back and kind of editing and changing as you writing later on to, to drop things in? Or are you just allowing it to be what it is? I think it's probably a little bit of both. I like to throw little foreshadowing Easter eggs in there. So in issue three, there's kind of one little throwaway panel where you see this woman and she's, oh, save me from this. And then you find out that she's, you know, the, the doctor's been experimenting with the drug and it makes you hallucinate. And she, you know, then our main character sees the demon. And I kind of, I try to throw as many little lines like that, that most people would miss the first mm -hmm. yeah. time. And then they come back full circle. And if they were to read it in a trade form, when all those issues are there together, they'll catch those little, those little lines. And then we're doing a panel, a sequence in panel or in issue seven, where they're going to be going through this area that's all loaded up with graffiti. And there's going to be so many little Easter eggs that I'm going to throw into that graffiti. I want to talk about the graffiti later through the issues. I, I don't know if it was issue one or issue three, but with like the hope graffiti and stuff in the backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was yeah. so that was intentional. All that stuff was put there like on purpose. Oh yeah. And we're gonna see we're we'll eventually we'll see who put that hope, who tagged that hope onto that area. Awesome. That's cool. I love that kind of stuff where you think you think it's a throwaway panel or a throwaway line or whatever. Like, why is that there? And then you mm -hmm. realize later on, like, oh, you either recall it or as you go back through you you notice it that next time and that's the type of stuff i love that's why i had to ask because that that is enticing to me that makes me want to read more next next issue and the next issue to see what it is that's going to come back around you know what i mean the, yeah. those callbacks are awesome i try to do that and then yeah then issue three there's one there's a page in that book that completely and utterly connects to issue nine and you're going to find out who the person was because you see someone being arrested essentially but that person is hugely significant to the story but we won't find out till issue nine because i just i love to throw those little easter eggs like this page That's won't right. make any sense till you get to it you know six issues later oh that's great i love it dude as, as someone that is a writer and kind of focusing on this this medium or like this comic book format do you still like enjoy watching comic book movies and reading comics and stuff? Are you still like into it or are you kind of like in your own I world? Do. With it now? I, I, I still enjoy, I mean, I'll still go see all the Marvel movies when they come out, even the DC ones. I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw my money at the comic book movies. Cause I, I can still enjoy them. There's points where you kind of become more critical. It's like, all right, they're becoming too formulaic or mm -hmm. there's too much of they're pushing whatever, opinion they want pushed for the month when it comes to the monthlies but i still have my pull list i still get my new issues every every week That's and it. still will run out and see any comic book movie because i think growing up comic book movies were so rare i mean we had superman superman had batman. batman and you know then it was years before we got things like x-men and mm -hmm. the marvel universe actually developing and I still just get that that giddy feeling when I know there's a new comic book movie coming out for a character that I love. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you? Um, I mean, I hate this fucking ass. This uh, <laughs> Marvel or DC? Do you have? Do you care? Is there? Is it worth caring about? I don't think it's worth caring about. I'm, I'm Team Vertigo, but Vertigo folded. So. <laughs> Dude, all right. That that's, so that's been where such all my a... favorite stories came from. Was that you know why the last man and 
all the stories that came out of Vertigo were so amazing. And then they just dumped the whole line. So I'm like, yeah, I don't care about either one, but I'm all, I've always been a Batman guy. So I guess it would put me on team DC if it came down to it. Cause I'm just a Batman fanatic when it comes down to it. Mm. That's a hot button question. And for, for most of the comics, man, yeah, they, yeah. Oh, that's funny. they want, or most of the comics. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The creators, they, they're yeah. staunchly for or against one or the other. Absolutely. Mm. It's, it's funny. I can read and enjoy both. It's, you know, I wish DC had a better cinematic universe, but some of, I mean, I love the Batmans that came out with Christopher Nolan. So yeah, yeah. it's like, all right, they're, when they, they just wanted a universe and they wanted it overnight. And that's the problem is Marvel took their time developing it. And DC's like, shoot, we got two movies. Let's, let's make a cinematic universe. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, so you like Batman. I just want to get your pull on this. Then you've mm-hmm. seen every Batman since the first ones with Michael Keaton in the eighties, um, yeah. up until let's say Joker, um, mm-hmm. which, which ones do you gravitate towards? What era to? is your favorite? Do you, do you still like those old kind of like campier ones? Is there some that you could just do without? Um, I mean, I have some opinions on, but I'd like to hear yours. I think for me, the 89 Batman with Michael Keaton, I'm so connected to that because that was just, that wasn't just a movie. It was, it was an entire movement when that came out. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody was rocking their Batman shirts and, it was like for a moment, the comic nerd felt kind of cool mm. until like a year later, I was wearing a Batman shirt and someone goes, you know, that's not cool anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> I missed out. Missed the memo. Yeah, but I mean, I love that one and that particular movie. I mean, it hasn't aged great, but I still love watching it. It's, you know, put the nostalgia glasses on and it's it's brilliant. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, those were my first introductions to Batman. And I just remember, you know, being into it from the first time I saw those movies, Batman one, mm-hmm. two, three, like all of them, even into the um, Val Kilmer mm-hmm. stage yeah. of it. Uh, Batman Forever um, was yeah. like a big one for me. But then I remember turning my back at Batman, Batman Robin. I was like, yeah, I'm a little too old to like this one. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It didn't seem as like good to me. Whatever. Uh, yeah, that one I was I was in college when that one hit, so it was just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the first two I liked, and then I I think I think it was in high school when the one the Jim Carrey one came out, and it's like okay, right, something's not quite right with this one. I don't outright hate it because it's still Batman, and you know it's still entertaining. But then it was you know what came after that just oh man it, it was like dipping it was its toe and how campy can we get again and then like i felt yeah. like the next one was just like overkill with like how cheesy mm-hmm. it was trying to be mm-hmm. with you know schwarzenegger and like let's freeze yeah. <laughs> oh yeah just all the bad, bad puns but the christopher nolan ones ruled um dude, oh, i yeah. loved uh walking phoenix as joker i just yeah, watched that. So i didn't good. watch it when it came out i just watched it maybe a year ago and mm-hmm. um i was like damn this is really good it's it's a completely like standalone kind of movie. Yeah. It, it's rad. Yeah. I, re- I really like that. And it, I was the same way. I didn't see it in the theater. I think whatever their promotional campaign was just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty, usually a pretty easy sell when it comes to comic movies and stuff. But every time I saw the trailer, I'm like, ah, that just doesn't look. So it finally came out on Blu-ray. And I think I went in red boxes like, damn, I missed out. This yeah. thing was amazing. It was mm-hmm. killer. It, it just like a real gritty, like, new york kind of movie um i heard it 
you know, be compared to like Taxi Driver and the King yeah. of Comedy with uh, Robert De Niro, which it, mm-hmm. it definitely has direct like throwbacks to that. And I was like a yeah. fan of that movie. Um, and so I, when I finally watched it, I was like, damn, this is good. <laughs> I was like, all right, I give it up. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, you rule. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I was just curious because everyone has their opinions on these things. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. you know, some people are purists and some people like what they like. And I'm just throwing my opinion yeah, out there. It's a hard debate. And I know I was on a podcast not that long ago and it was, you know, a panel of indie comic creators. And the question was, do you even read mainstream comics? And, you know, everybody, it, it reminds me of when I was growing up because I was really into the indie music scene. And it's like, oh, if you get played on K-Rock, you're dead to me. <laughs> and, and it was just like, no, I, I can't live in that mentality because if you still make good songs that get played on the radio, what do I care? You know, they, I don't want you to squalor and have to live in a van for the rest of your career right. to go get paid somewhere. So that that whole mentality kind of moved its way into indie comics as well. And I just think if it's a good story, I don't care who's putting it out, even if it's, you know, it's Marvel or DC. I just like to read a good story and I still love those characters. So I'm putting to read to read good stories about the character up with. For sure. Yeah. shameless self-plug we've got a handful of really good artists at ratnestickerco.com that are making really good comics these days that they have interesting stories completely different styles all across the board and the stories are fun to read and they're they're intriguing there is a lot of um episodic stuff that's been coming out um yeah go check it out if you like if you like random stories and in exposing yourself to other artists like ideas and other styles of comics there's a lot of them on there definitely check that out that i mean that was great. to you and everybody yeah. listening as well oh, no, I, I like that idea i love reading i mean i i have i i just filled my first full long box of nothing but indie comics the guy bought from kickstarter so oh, yeah i awesome. love reading new stories with a writer who can tell their story with no compromise and you know it, they can be as crazy as they want because they're the ones that own it so i love reading those kind of stories and not everyone is going to be amazing but knowing what it takes to get a comic book released into the world i yep. would never rip on another indie creator just because it's so much effort and time mm-hmm. and blood sweat and tears so if they put that in to get their book into the world then more power to them and Absolutely. best of luck. Dude, that's exactly what I mean, we're about and we love here. And it's like we try to promote and work with people that are working for themselves to do mm-hmm. their thing and like, you know, get it out there and not, you know, not worry about wh- who's going to pick it up or wh- trying to develop it or anything in that sense. It's just like putting the work out there for people to check out. And yeah. It's like that. There's something to be said about that. It's like the the bravery and like, you know, you're not getting anything out of it. It's all self-sacrifice to do mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's who we try to promote and like try to, you know, put on a pedestal and like feature on the site is people that are just doing it for themselves to get their work out. Yeah. People that want to tell their story. And that's when it came, when it came down to me, as I said, I can, I can just move on and let this story go, but I would never feel okay letting the story die in my head. Sure. So I'm going to get it out into the world. And if, you know, 10 people enjoy it, then great. Of course you want more, but it's all about telling your story. And I think anyone in the indie comic world, that's what it's about. They're, they want to tell their story to the world. And, you know, they're going to put a lot of time and effort to do that because 
I, I mean, I'm sure some of them just imagine they're going to become instant millionaires, but most know better. <laughs> yeah. they know, if nothing else, I can have some people enjoy something that I put out there and there's no better feeling than that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, man. Well, the work you're putting out there is amazing. Um, Thank you. Really good. La- last, uh, last thing I want to touch on for people that are wondering what we're talking about. It's called Immortal Era. It's this comic book you've written. You work with the team to develop it and produce it. Um, but one of the first pages in the first issue talks about kind of the setup to it. So if I could just say that, it's like the news report is that uh, strangely not a lot of people have been dying. <laughs> so where is that where the whole thing started off? Was that your first idea on this whole book is like, let's start from this jump off point. My, my first idea came and it was, you know, being an English lit major in college, we were reading Gulliver's travel. We were reading just an excerpt from the book and he goes to an Island where everybody's immortal and realizes that it is not the way you want to live. It's like, <laughs> it, it sounds great at first. Like, okay, they're all immortal. And he's only seeing the young, you know, 20 something immortals. And of course they're happy, but then he kind of stumbles across the people that are hundreds of years old. They can't think for themselves. They can barely move. And he realizes right away, immortality is completely overrated. And mm. it's just a small little, little story. I mean, it's only a handful of pages. And that's what kind of got the whole idea into my head is like, okay, I love this idea that immortality sucks, but <laughs> I want to take it somewhere else. For sure. Uh, I have a question that I, I'm kind of curious about. Who mm-hmm. is your favorite character? Like, are you right along with the main character? Or you've got a bunch of side story, like side stories and side characters. Like, who would who would you call out as your favorite? Oh, I think because I, I mean, I have to think about who I love to write for, and I yeah. love writing Miguel. Okay, he's just fun. I like his kind of his his sense of humor. He's always trying to lighten the situation, so I love writing for him. I mean. I'm always connected with the main character because the story kind of moves through her point of view. Uh When it was a novel, it was a first person point of view from her eyes. And I think that's the one thing writing it as a comic, it's actually developed the side characters a lot more because you want each and every one of them to be interesting where if you're telling a first person story, the one that matters more than anyone is that first person narrator. Mm -hmm. But now that it's now it's an ensemble cast. Yeah. I love developing the other characters and it's really fun writing villains too. It's like, I love yeah. writing Dr. Nix cause she's just so vile. And I just, I had the best time writing her stuff. So I think Miguel and her are my favorites to write for the nicest and, and the meanest. Enjoy writing yeah. All of them, but yeah. Those two, I always have a good time. Oh yeah. That's cool. That's really rad. Uh, yeah, no, I like it. And you can kind of see that too, that, and that lends to, having a really cohesive and intertwined uh, character development, you know, they're, they're rolling together and you can tell you're enjoying writing it. That's why I wanted to know like, which one is your favorite? Cause you can tell you're having a blast when you're writing this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. dude. Well, Ed, we're about to wrap this up, man. Is there, um, let's, can we tell the people where to check out a moral era and uh, what kickstarters or GoFundMes you have going on right now? At right now, I have no crowdfunding going on because I'm fulfilling all my pledges for the current one that just ended for issue five. So I actually just put the tag on the last envelope today. So all the physical rewards are fulfilled. So the new Kickstarter will be launching 
probably in February. That's my goal because I okay. want to let people get through the holidays and just give myself a moment to breathe as well. So if you wanted to find anything about what's going on with that, you need to follow Finish Line Comics on all the social media. And right now we're the only one that you would find under that. So if you go to Instagram, you go to Facebook, you go to Twitter, follow follow Finish Line Comics. And there's also a website, finishlinecomics.com. I have a web store where you can buy the back issues. Issue five isn't up on the web store yet because I always fulfill all of the Kickstarters first. That way, the people who backed it, they, they're the first ones to hold mm. it in hand. Right on. And I also have a bunch of cons coming up for the first time because it's with, with COVID, all the cons got shut down, and especially in California. Yeah. But they're all coming back in basically like a three-week stretch. So I'll be at the San Diego Comic-Con Special Edition this, um, this upcoming weekend on Thanksgiving. Nice. And I'll be at the um, LA Comic-Con a week after the San Diego one. And then in a couple of weeks after that in Ontario, California, I'll be at the con out there. So I'll have lots of cons. And if anyone listening to this podcast comes to the con, come over to the table, mention this podcast, I'll throw some free stickers your way. Hell yeah. Awesome. There you go. Rat nest love. Yeah. You're only going to get about 14 people that listen to this. Yeah. 1.4 might come up to you. But, yeah. you know, that's what we're going for. That's what we're building that's right. for. I got, I, got, I got a lot of stickers if, if we get a giant <laughs> rush. So I'm ready. Right yeah, he's on, ready dude. for the rush. Hell yeah, man. Well, congratulations on getting to this far, uh, you know, doing your thing and, and keeping it going and, and building a team. And like I said, it looks amazing. Um, I'm going to plug it as much as I can on our stuff just because of the quality of it. It's beautiful you're an awesome dude thanks for sitting down and talking with us um oh, gonna have enjoyed it more this has been a fun one yeah <laughs> yeah it's been really enjoyable man no nah, it's been good man so uh anything else before we go you want to you want to throw out there do you have a personal website i that, my only website is the finishlinecomics.com i'm just i'm not very good at that kind of stuff so i do my best but yeah, check out check out the website, check out the web store if you're interested in getting a copy of the book. I have physical and digital copies available because I know some people, even though I, I I don't give good credit for the digital copies, some people have an, have, have an entire comic collection that fits in the palm of their hand. Absolutely. There's something to be said about that with all my long boxes in the garage. Yeah. <laughs> I hear it, man. Well, thank you awesome. so much for sitting down and talking with us, brother. This has been Ed Davis. Jim, you want to say anything, brother? Honestly, it's been a pleasure talking with you. It's really great to meet you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's uh, it's really, really good. And anybody listening, check out Immortal Era. You will not be disappointed. Thanks so much for being here, Ed. We really appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Yeah, man. If you want to hold on one second, I'm going to do this outro. This has been another episode of the Ratness Podcast. You can catch us every week on Friday, YouTube for the video, and all streaming platforms for the audio. Go to Ratness Sticker Co. for comics, posters, zines, t-shirts, and more. And Jim? I'm Jim. And that's it. See you next week. <laughs>